Defence Dialogue, a podcast discussing contemporary challenges in the area of European security and defence. Brought to you by the Martin Centre with Nicholas Novaki. Welcome everybody and thanks a lot for joining us again in another episode of the Wilfrid Martin Centre for European Studies and Defence Dialogue podcast. It's wonderful to have you with us uh, again and I hope all of you Wherever you are, you're having a nice day. And uh, my name is Dr. Nicholas Novaki, and with me here today, as usually, is uh, my good friend and colleague, um, Alvaro de la Cruz, of communications and uh, new media officer. Thanks a lot for joining, Alvaro. Thank you for having me, as usual, Nicholas. It's my pleasure. So quite a lot has been t- happening in Europe and in the areas around Europe. Uh, since uh, during the last couple of uh, months, since uh, the uh, Russian invasion or Russia's uh, attack against Ukraine began on the 21st, 24th of February this year. And we are now in, in May, so that means that the current uh, Russian aggression against Ukraine has been going on for about two months already, like just a little bit over two months. And um, in some ways, it's incredible that uh, we are already in the second month because I remember when the war began and, and um, shortly even before the war began, there were a lot of doomsayers here in Europe and also elsewhere saying that Ukraine would collapse in weeks, if not days, once the Russian aggression would, would begin. But Ukraine has really demonstrated uh, incredible resilience. Uh, the Ukrainian population has demonstrated incredible fighting spirit and a willingness to defend their home country. And importantly as well, the Russian armed forces, the Russian armed forces have also demonstrated an, inc- uh, an incredible uh, lack of capacity uh, to fight or the, the fighting capacity has been much lower than was anticipated in February or in January when Russia was still building up its forces along the Ukrainian border. And the war has of course caused a dramatic um, change of attitude towards Russia in Europe. The war has caused Europe to do almost everything it can to support Ukraine in its war effort and uh, to help Ukraine defend its sovereignty against the Russian aggression. Uh, We've seen a lot of European countries providing air defense missiles and all sorts of different types of uh, lethal fighting equipment and also non-lethal equipment to Ukraine to increase Ukraine's ability to um, defend its sovereignty. And the European Union as as an institution has also also stepped up and the EU has increased its sanctions on Russia in coordination with the United States and other, other close partners and really quite spectacularly also agreed to provide Ukraine a 1 billion euro uh, assistance package through the European Peace Facility so that Ukraine would be able to acquire lethal capabilities and other equipment that it needs uh, to defend itself. And in addition to all these different reactions that we've seen from European countries and um, the European Union, one really interesting development that the war um, or Russia's attack on Ukraine on the 24th and, the, and, and, and then the ensuing conflict has caused, is the, the security and defense political debate in the Nordic countries, particularly in Finland and in Sweden. 
for a long time, for almost actually like for ever since the end of the Cold War, uh, Finland and Sweden, I mean, have been enhancing their cooperation uh, with the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, with NATO and with the United States, but they have not joined the alliance yet. Um, they did not uh, apply to join NATO along with other European countries when there were a couple of waves of NATO enlargements in the late 1990s and early 2000s, because although they joined the European Union, there was um, what one might describe as a cultural um, affinity to this idea of uh, non-alignment. The Cold War era neutrality has, has uh, vanished uh, from both countries, especially like once they joined uh, the European Union in 1995. So neither Finland nor Sweden is, is technically uh, neutral anymore and, and does not uh, describe uh, oneself as neutral in, in their defense and security policy white papers. Uh, the term that they have used over the past years is, is militarily non-aligned, uh, but not neutral, and this is of course important. But now it, it looks like Finland and Sweden are taking steps um, towards uh, joining uh, NATO. Very sudden, very serious steps, and, and um, if you look at Finland, for example, Finland seems to be on the verge of announcing that it will apply to join NATO at the um, sometime around the middle of this month. We are currently recording this uh, episode in the in the beginning of May, so around the mid middle of May, we can there, there might all, already be a Finnish announcement that uh, Finland will apply to join NATO ahead of the uh, the the summit that NATO will have in Madrid at the end of June. And this is really quite a spectacular development because th there has never really been a serious debate about joining uh, NATO in Finland. There have been some people are calling and, and some political parties calling for Finland to eventually join. But for the most part, the political establishment has been very careful about expressing any sorts of uh, thoughts or support for open support, at least for applying for NATO membership. And this has to do with the uh, cultural affinity to this idea of non-alignment and also because of the very practical necessity of, of uh, trying to maintain at least some kind of workable uh, political relations uh, with Russia, with which Finland shares a land border of 1,340 kilometers. But the Aggression against Ukraine uh, that Russia has taken has changed mentalities in both Finland and Sweden. The change did not really come from the political establishment itself. Interestingly, like it came from the broader population. There was quite a dramatic change in, the, in public opinion uh, when it comes to joining NATO. Before the war, the current aggression against Ukraine began on the 24th of February, uh, I believe most opinion polls that, uh, that came from Finland on NATO membership were under expressed support for NATO membership around a bit less than 30%, I believe. Like they used to be in about between 25 and 30%. Uh, that is the, the support for NATO membership in Finland. But since the war began, support has increased quite dramatically. It is now about between 65 and um, 68%. So really, really a dramatic shift in public opinion. And it was really 
after the war began that for the first time ever in, in Finland history, uh, there was the public opinion for uh, NATO membership increased uh, above uh, 50%. So really um, uh, a historic, historic change. And it is this change in public opinion that then pushed uh, the political establishment to, to take uh, moves when it, when it uh, comes to uh, the, the NATO membership debate. Uh, the Finnish uh, government and, and the president of the republic have held um, already quite extensive preliminary consultations with their closest partners here in Europe, but also with the United States. A revised uh, white security and defense policy white paper has been presented um, to, to, to the Finnish parliament, uh, which does, does not explicitly um, uh, recommend NATO membership, but it makes clear that given the changed um, security environment around, Finland's, uh, around Finland, that Russia's war against Ukraine has caused, there really isn't any other viable option than, than applying for NATO membership. And um, this is a historical development, and, and um, it, it also uh, is something that uh, if Finland does announce this month in May, or at any other point this year that it will apply NATO and, and then eventually will submit its application to join NATO. It will have, of course, implications not only for NATO, but also for the European Union. And um, especially during the period that begins when the application is submitted until the application is accepted and Finland uh, becomes a NATO member. And the reason for this is that Finland is still not a NATO member state. It will not be a NATO member state during the application process. And this means that neither Finland nor Sweden like, will be covered by NATO's Article 5, the alliance's mutual aid and uh, mutual defense clause uh, during the application process. And um, if you have a look at the revised security and defense white paper that the Finnish government presented to the parliament earlier, it makes clear that there are quite a bit of risks and, and, and threats and uh, Finland is expecting uh, Russia to react uh, to, the, to the NATO membership application. And the country needs to be prepared for eventualities such as increased cyber attacks, some kind of hybrid influence within Finland, the possibility of, of um, large amounts of irregular migrants starting to come across the, the, the border with Russia, which is something that did already happen earlier, like some years ago, when suddenly uh, large amounts of migrants from the Middle East started to come across um, the, the, the Finnish the border that's uh, the border between Finland and Russia, especially in, in, in Lapland. So uh, these are the types of eventualities that need to be prepared. And of course, disinformation and all sorts of other influence activities. So this means that if the tensions increase and if uh, there is any kind of Russian attempts to influence or destabilize Finland during its NATO membership application process, um, the EU will, of course, have to step up and then uh, do what it can uh, to defend Finland. And I don't think that it would be out of the question uh, to imagine that if there would something would happen, that Finland would consider activating uh, Article 42.7 of the Treaty on European Union, the EU's own mutual aid and assistance clause, or um, Article 222 of the Treaty on the Functioning of the European Union, the Solidarity Clause. And the EU fortunately has quite a lot of tools and instruments in the area when it comes to uh, tackling irregular flows of, uh, of migrants and refugees, 
uh, tackling hybrid uh, threats, uh, tackling uh, disinformation, etc. So the readiness in, in the European Union and in other EU capitals needs to be increased as well to make sure that both Finland and Sweden like will feel as secure as, as they possibly can uh, during the NATO application process. I think that if Finland and Sweden eventually join NATO, this will, of course, like some affect or probably affect uh, in some ways the EU's own security and defense policy, uh, of the development of which both countries uh, support quite strongly. I don't think the, the effects will be really strong or, or very significant because we, we have to remember that a large amount of um, most NATO countries are, most EU countries are already uh, NATO member, uh, member states. Both NATO EU countries and non-NATO EU countries have committed to developing and implementing the EU security and defense policy uh, in the Treaty on European Union. And uh, both NATO and the EU have increased their bilateral security and defense cooperation, especially since the since Russia and Russia's annexation of Crimea in 2014. And, and relations between the two organizations are pretty good at the moment, even though there are occasional differences and tensions. Uh, but, but these differences and tensions are quite a bit less um, than what, what, what they used to be. But I think the most significant change will probably be um, for Finland's uh, approach to, to, to EU security and defense cooperation itself. Uh, there's, there's a couple of reasons for this. I think the first reason will be that during the early years of its uh, NATO membership, I, I think there will probably be an effort in Helsinki to make sure that like Finland will try to get into the core of NATO, it, to try to, it, it probably wants to be um, kind of a model uh, NATO members, member state in the beginning of its of its um, NATO uh, NATO membership uh, to 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 show to other NATO countries that Finland is a responsible, active NATO member state, and they made the right decision to admit uh, Finland into the country. And this sort of phenomenon happened a little bit also in the 1990s and early 2000s when Finland joined the European Union. There was a conscious effort to uh, go into the core of the European Union and, and support European integration, to join the Eurozone, etc., and, and to be an active member of the Union. I think this is something that we'll probably see in NATO as well. Another thing is that I think one thing that Finland has talk, spoken quite a lot in the past years is, is the necessity of developing Article 42.7, the, the EU's own mutual assistance clause, uh, in the past years. And this is something that a lot of most EU member states like have been quite quiet. They haven't really uh, understood completely uh, the, the, the value and the relevance of Article 42.7 for, for their national security and defense policies, simply because they are already members of NATO and they're covered by Article 5 of the Washington Treaty, um, which, which, which is considered a lot more credible and, and, and functional than Article 42.7. I think Finland will probably double down on, on um, advocating the necessity of, of um, safeguarding the primacy of NATO in Europe, uh, ensuring that NATO's Article 5 will be credible and, and that um, NATO countries do what they can to meet the 2% of GDP defense spending targets when, when, it, when it joins. And then it will have less necessity and there will, there will be less reasons to uh, call for uh, strong operational Article 42.7 in the EU context, when, when, when Finland will then get the type of security guarantees that it has always been looking for uh, from NATO. 
it's possible that the EU uh, mutual aid and assistance clause will not lose its significance completely to Finland because let's not forget that both NATO and the EU have competencies in different areas. And there have been arguments and, and, and um, that there have been um, studies and discussions among the member states in which most member states have expressed that the EU's own mutual aid and assistance clause should be used primarily in situations that fall underneath the threshold of activating uh, NATO's Article 5. So in, in cyber and hybrid situations, perhaps uh, this article, this, the EU article will continue to have some relevance uh, for Finland. But I think overall, we'll probably see that as a NATO EU country, Finland will probably become a li little bit more Central European, perhaps a little bit more like Germany in a sense that it will advocate uh, for, for a strong and credible uh, NATO. It will advocate for NATO's primacy when it comes to European security and defense, but it also supports an effective and credible EU security and defense dimension uh, because both NATO and the EU, as I already mentioned, they deal with a little bit of different sort of things. And especially in the past years, the EU has been specializing in, in the joint capability development, tackling non-traditional threats such as like cyber attacks and, and hyper threats. And, and it has quite a large toolbox in this area. So interesting times, and we'll see what happens. Interesting is the very least we can say, indeed. Uh, Niklas, uh, to start with Finland, which is uh, not only closest to, to you, but also probably a much more uh, strategic uh, country for us in Sweden right now because of the long border with Russia that you mentioned. Uh, Finland is right now the only EU member state with a border in Russia that is not a NATO member, what took you so long? I mean, uh, Sweden's culture for neutrality, it's, it's one thing. Uh, also, they, they are close to Russia, but they don't share a border with Russia. And you are the, the EU member state with the, the longest border with Russia, and despite so, the only one not belonging to, to NATO. Why did we have to wait for the invasion in Ukraine for this to happen? Uh, where they're not enough reasons uh, until now for 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 joining the alliance. Well, I, I think there's it's a good question, and I think there's a couple of reasons for this. I mean, the, the first reason is it relates to strategic culture, because at the end of the Cold War, the culture of new, the, the Finland's like neutrality and non-alignment was not fundamentally disproven as as a wrong foreign foreign policy choice during the Cold War, and it was something that. Finland followed out of practical necessity because um, it maintained its independence at the end of the Second World War, but it had very limited space for maneuver being next to the Soviet Union and have, having signed in 1948, I believe, the Friendship Cooperation and Assistance Agreement with the, with the Soviet Union, which quite dramatically effectively kept us in the Soviet orbit, like without keeping us in the, without having to be in the Warsaw Pact. So at the end of the Cold War, the policy of neutrality, non-alignment was not proven to be a wrong policy choice. The political establishment in Helsinki could go on saying that uh, this is, this, the neutrality and non-alignment policy was what secured our independence and, and kept us safe uh, during the Cold War. And it's a, it's a smart choice to continue uh, following the non-alignment policy, not the neutrality policy, but the non-alignment policy. I think second reason is that we Finland probably hasn't considered that um, that that uh, Russia would seriously consider any anything doing anything dramatic in, in northern Europe 
I mean, the previous conflicts and crises in Europe's like geo geographical um, neighborhood that Russia has caused, I mean, have taken place in Georgia in 2008, and then the current Ukraine crisis dates back to uh, 2014. And they weren't really all out war. I mean, they were limited in scope uh, to some extent. And um, they, they did not also kind of trigger perhaps the memories of Finland's own uh, winter war uh, against the Soviet Union in 1939. 19, 1939 to 1940, in the same way that this current current um, war has 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 uh, involved. I think what what scared the Finnish population in particular uh, was when they saw that Russia has the capability of deploying fairly quickly um, 100,000 troops by the border. Not a friendly, but a non-aggressive country. It is an aggressive country. Russia is an aggressive country, and Putin is is acting very erratically. So given this situation, and, and given that even though we're already a European Union member state, even though uh, Finland has active and very deep defense cooperation with, with uh, countries such as the United Kingdom, with the United States, with Germany, with France, there really isn't any alternative uh, to NATO membership. And I think this is what, what really tilted the scales in favor of, of membership in, in Finland. Okay, okay, thank you. Um, it, is, it is not always obvious for for people like like me from Spain, from the other corner of Europe, to to understand this this historical phenomenon, everybody or uh, many people know about Finland's capabilities. Uh, not only you have a robust, a relatively robust uh, army, you have a military service that makes that most of your at least male citizens have some military experience. You have one of the largest, if not the largest, artillery in in Western Europe. So. Uh, we know that you have tactical experience. You have quite recent experience fighting, fighting uh, even Russia. Uh, but what are uh, Sweden's uh, capabilities? What is the added value for for, the, for NATO beyond, of course, the final unification of the Nordics, at least under the NATO umbrella, and uh, of course the, the the strategic factor of having the entire Baltic Sea under NATO dominance? What are Sweden's capabilities? Because uh, we don't know much about uh, their military background and, and experience. Well, Sweden has traditionally had like a, a very large uh, armed forces. And I believe like during the Cold War, I mean, Sweden had one of the largest armed forces in Europe, if I'm, unless I'm, unless I remember incorrectly. And, but since the Cold War ended, I mean, the, 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 the size of the Swedish armed forces and their capabilities were, 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 de were decreased quite dramatically when Sweden tried to cash in the so-called peace dividend and cut defense pending and, and, and the size of the armed forces. But um, since uh, 2014, uh, since the annexation of Crimea, uh, during the time that um, Europe's tensions with Russia like have been increasing, I mean, Sweden has been uh, taking new steps to rebuild its armed forces, to increase defense spending and, and uh, to make sure that it has the capabilities and equipment that it needs to First of all, defend uh, its own sovereignty and uh, take care of the threats and challenges that that might emerge uh, in its neighborhood. Sweden has also like a, a highly developed defense industry. Uh, it produces uh, excellent um, fighter aircraft, uh, for example, that it uses itself and that it's that it that it sells to like countries um, around the world. And and uh, it it already uh, cooperates uh, actively with NATO, like like Finland. Sweden is, is is an enhanced opportunity partner with NATO and maintains already uh, deep uh, defense ties with, with with the United States. 
But I think indeed, um, you mentioned the enhanced security of the Baltic Sea region, and I think it's it's not it's it's not uh, a reason that should be kind of overlooked. I mean, I, I think that's that's a vital, a very important selling point. Also, like uh, Sweden's, both Finland and Sweden's NATO membership, the Baltic Sea would then essentially become a NATO lake, and and um, it it would be much more difficult for the uh, the, the the Russian Baltic uh, Sea Fleet. Uh, to, to cause any kind of mit- mischief in the uh, Baltic Sea region, when uh, um, uh, if, if, if both Finland and Sweden joined uh, joined NATO, and uh, NATO would also then then um, have access to geographically and, and strategically strategically important locations such as the uh, island of Gotland, uh, in which the city of Visby uh, is is in, in of uh, of Stockholm, a very strategic piece of land. In, in, in the Baltic Sea. So I think um, Sweden is moving into the right direction when it comes to develop kind of rebuilding its armed forces, it has a highly developed defense, defense industry, it's strategically important uh, country in, in Northern Europe. And for sure, the Baltic Sea security would, would, would increase if, if both Finland and Sweden joined. Okay, thank you. Now, now moving to the accession process, Let's say both Sweden and Finland have their application ready before the Madrid summit this uh, June. If everything goes okay, for how long do you think the process of accession should uh, prorogate? I mean, for when could we see both Finland and Sweden like uh, fully members of NATO? I mean, there's, there, I mean, there's what, but I think like should happen, and then what I what I think like will happen. I do hope that when, when the two countries submit, if and when the two countries submit their NATO membership applications, the ratification process will be as quick as possible. Now, I think a good starting point is the fact that the armed forces of both Finland and Sweden are already highly NATO compatible. They and, and they have equipment that is is is, is already like valuable for, for, for NATO. So integrating them into the alliance like should should not be a problem. And 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 that this this is something that should be straightforward. If 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 anything, Finland and Sweden are more NATO compatible like that than uh, than some existing uh, NATO member state, paradoxically. But of course, admitting new members into NATO requires each requires unanimity in the alliance. So, in other words, like each 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 NATO country like needs to approve the the accession of Finland and Sweden. And um, the, the, there will be parliamentary approval processes in some NATO allies. And parliamentary processes will, of course, uh, inevitably take a little bit of time. And I believe in the past, I think the quickest NATO accession process has taken for about uh, one year. Um, so I think we can expect probably the longest uh, around a year's, year, year's process provided. I mean, that there won't be any difficult countries difficult NATO allies like who would have whatever any any reason for kind of putting putting an obstacle in front of Finland and Sweden's uh, desire to 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 join the alliance it's a possibility but uh, but I do hope that we will not we will not see this and and uh, if everything goes well I, I I hope that we can we, we can have it done in, in in less than a year and it is important to get it done as quickly as possible to make sure that then once the application is, is, is submitted and the application process begins, then both Finland and Sweden will, will get under the, the protective umbrella of um, Article 5 as quickly as possible. Right. Because that 
that leads to my next uh, and final question for you today, Nicholas. Uh, we have, yeah, more or less around a year ahead of us of the succession process, and let's hope. In this period of time, during this period of time, we will have both, we'll have elections both in Sweden and Finland. The elections in Sweden are expected to be on September 11 this year, and in Finland next April. Right now, both countries are governed by socialist parties, and how do you think this process and this momentum could affect this election, uh, both for the parties in, in the government or the, the opposition? It's hard to say. When it comes to Finland, there is a tradition of um, taking these sorts of decisions by cross-party con consensus and trying to achieve a pretty strong consensus across all parties, both parties in government and, and, and parties in opposition. And this is indeed something that we have seen. So it, it is difficult to see like what will happen between now and then the, the, the elections uh, next year, because this is uncharted territory uh, for everybody. And I think what, what this hoped and, and what parties both in, in government and in the opposition are hoping that uh, once the NATO application process begins, once the NATO membership application is submitted, that Finland's NATO membership will not become a party political issue that will be kind of reopened for discussion and debate in, in, uh, during, during, the, during the elections next year. And uh, I have been kind of very happy in, in, in noticing kind of the level of agreement across the party spectrum and that there has been in Finland when it comes to um, um, making this really historical and, and, and um, significant and, and consequential uh, choice. Okay, well, let's let's hope for 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 those elections to to be as as clean as possible and beneficial for the EU and NATO's interest. And I am looking forward to be able to tell you, welcome to the family, Nicholas. Yeah, you, you, uh, Spain has been already member for quite some time so i mean uh, i look forward to uh, getting getting any any tips and uh, ideas that you might have how to behave as as a possibly <laughs> it will be my pleasure thank you thanks, Nicholas. A thanks a lot everybody and thanks for tuning in and um, i hope you enjoyed um, this episode of the martin center's defense dialogue podcast and have a wonderful day wherever you are and please join us again in the future ciao that was today's episode of Defence Dialogue. Subscribe to our podcasts for more.